It's Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SCR in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Miles Herbert. Today we're in conversation with Dr. Nick Enfield. Enfield is a linguist and the head of the Post-Truth Initiative, a team of researchers at the University of Sydney bringing together data scientists, philosophers, physicists, and software engineers to examine fake news, alternative facts, lies, bullshit, and propaganda with the aim to understand them and figure out how the truth might survive in this political climate. I started today by asking Nick what a linguist does and how that might intersect with the world of journalism. Well, I'm a professionally trained linguist, so that means that I studied linguistics at uh, the university and got the sort of basic skills of linguistics through that. Linguistics is sometimes thought of as being the field where you learn lots and lots of languages and you become like a high-performance sort of translator, but that's not what we do. What we do is we try to study the kind of essence of human language. So in my area, I was particularly keen on kind of world travel and getting out around the world and seeing different people, and linguistics is a great way to do that because you're trying to kind of tap into different languages and different cultures. So that's kind of what got me into it and what I do now is kind of you know basically grounded in exactly that so I do field work in Laos that's my country of specialization and sort of other parts of Southeast Asia and what I do is collect recordings of people using their language in everyday life and really kind of examine how they use it and what they're doing when they use language sort of looking at some basic questions of human social life and what role uh, languages play. How do you think the study of language intersects with journalism? Well, it's crucial. I mean, language is the tool of the journalist. Obviously, images are as well, but images are uh, intimately kind of uh, related to language. So, you know, what I do is really about kind of expressing yourself and through that having an impact on other people and trying to change them in certain ways. And sometimes that's very kind of trivial. So if I say pass me the salt, you know, in a way I'm kind of manipulating you in some sense, right? And so I can look at some very basic uses of language that make impressions on you. Or if I tell you my views about something, you know, I thought that movie was terrible or something, I'm changing you in some very minor way by changing your kind of beliefs about me or what have you. Journalism is obviously, you know, that is kind of cranked up to 11, right? You're trying to deliver the truth and deliver the facts in a way that's relevant to people, I mean, this is my naive view of what journalism is, but, you know, it's what you're really doing is using language as a tool to, to change things through informing people and what that fundamentally is, is changing their state of mind. So you're the head researcher at the Sydney Research Excellence Initiative, um, a new project examining fake news, alternative facts, lies, bullshit, and propaganda, all terms that have kind of been banded around endlessly by talking heads and politicians over the last year. But what exactly is this idea of fake news? Well, it's fake news is part of a whole sort of family of things that come under, you know, what we what we sort of call the kind of post-truth age, you know. So the initiative, so the Sydney Research Excellence Initiative is a, is a larger thing with a, a range of different projects that are funded and ours is called the Post-Truth Initiative. And so things like fake news, propaganda and so forth all come under that heading and it's a very good time to be studying these things because they're very topical and, you know, there's been a huge amount of news about these problems of kind of getting the facts straight and so forth. But of course there's nothing new about that as you 
just hinted, you know, we've always had lies and propaganda and coercion and all those kinds of things. So in a way, you know, what we're really looking at is a classic age-old problem. That doesn't mean the problem shouldn't be studied, obviously, because it's still a, a diabolical problem. Um, but it seems like there's something really different going on today in this domain because it's just through the ways of, of getting information around the globe and getting information to other people. I mean, you know, it's been a revolution, revolution after revolution over kind of recent years in terms of of the flow of information. So there are new ways to kind of spread bullshit and propaganda and that kind of thing. And there are sort of new speeds at which one can do it and new kind of cycles. So there's a sense of urgency. Some people kind of have the view that, you know, we shouldn't be alarmed about about current state of affairs. But I think that, well, we may not need to be alarmed, but we should, certainly should be concerned and try to kind of work on the problem. I mean, there's a cultural problem, obviously, where people are ready to take on ideas that they hear without checking them, without looking at the evidence behind them. People are willing to trust certain sources without actually having great reason for trusting them. And it's obviously that's a serious problem, right, when it comes down to things that matter, you know, fundamentally, obvious example being things like climate change and so forth. If you make the wrong decisions because you have false beliefs or because you don't care what the truth is, then, you know, ultimately that's suicide. Right. And so that name, the Post-Truth Initiative, you know, in response to things like Brexit in the UK and Donald Trump in America and kind of the rise of populism across the world, that word post-truth is now in in the dictionary. You know, it's now a recognized word. Do you think that this Post-Truth Initiative and the research you guys are doing was in direct response to things like Brexit and, and Donald Trump? Yeah, it was. I mean, the idea of having a kind of a large group of people working together on this was certainly triggered directly by, by Brexit and Trump in terms of the timing. We mentioned those things sort of in the in the materials that we used when we were proposing kind of doing this. You know, as I just said earlier, the 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 question of sort of how new those things are, you know, is it's pretty clear that they're not especially new. We could have had a, an initiative like this earlier on, you know, around other kinds of phenomena. But, you know, there's something really galvanizing about the, those two stories, right, the Brexit and the Trump, just because they were so shocking to so many people. Maybe some people weren't that shocked, but certainly in my bubble and me personally, I was quite shocked by those two developments. I just wouldn't have imagined that either of those things would have happened if you'd asked me the day before. So, you know, I think that a lot of the people I work with were probably in the same boat. And um, one of the reactions to that is, you know, obviously I'm missing something here. So we better do some research and try to figure out what's going on. One of the aspects of this initiative is what you've coined a bullshit detector with the ability to detect stories or so-called fake news that are void of any rational thought, arguments, or truth. What is this bullshit detector and how does it work? So this is something that we've started developing in collaboration with computer scientists at the university. And it's really a way of trying to explore some of the new developments in well, especially in sort of voice recognition, but also in data processing in a kind of online way. I mean, we started out the proposal with a kind of a dream concept that you could sort of crank up the current sort of technologies that were allowing us to do things like fact check and that sort of thing and use it as a type of real-time kind of fact checker in a sense. So that's what we sort of set out to do. Um, and there's some pretty pretty amazing new kind of uh, voice recognition technology where you can 
do searches in you know in the same way that we're used to doing searches in text you can do it just you know if someone's given a speech and you have a video of it you can search for sort of phrases that they've been using and so on so that kind of thing made us really want to look into the possibility of triangulating statements against established evidence that we have on those same statements and so forth so you know the dream kind of device would be one that would sort of set off an alarm and say this is false and so forth Obviously, in in terms of sort of implementation, it's a really hard thing to do. And so we've been working pretty hard on kind of narrowing down the set of things that we could do to do something that's tractable and that has some kind of legs. So right now we've been developing a way of doing this that focuses on individual people. So, you know, you can look at a public figure and you can take the statements that they're saying and compare them to statements that they've said in the past about the same thing and look at the kind of, give them, in a sense, a kind of score for consistency in terms of sort of what they've said. Now, obviously, people can change their minds about things, and that's fine, and, you know, new evidence can come to light, and we can have a new stance on something. With politicians, you know, we don't generally see that being the pattern, that it's kind of new evidence that makes them change what they're saying. It tends to be something about the context that they're in or who they're talking to and so forth. So... At the moment, kind of what we're what we're really exploring. I mean, it's still right, in, you know, in the development phase. Is this kind of measure of consistency for for certain people in terms of their sort of history of public statements about a topic, and that really kind of looks at, or in a sense, gives us a way to rate them uh, to the degree to which they're a bullshit artist. So, I mean, this idea of bullshit has a kind of technical definition, if you like. In philosophy, there's a there's a sort of a distinction between lying and bullshit. Lying being saying something that's untrue, knowing that it's untrue with the intention to deceive, right? Bullshit, on the other hand, it's obviously similar, but the idea behind bullshit as we see it is that you are saying stuff and you don't care whether it's true or false. You're just saying stuff that you think people want to hear or that's going to impress people, it's going to let you get your way. So you actually don't care whether it's true or false. So one of the kind of effects of being a bullshit artist is that one day you're going to say one thing and the next day you're going to say another and then you're going to go back to the first thing the day after that right so that kind of at the moment is how we're trying to get a way into sort of really trying to detect you know partly people's sincerity partly people's kind of you know manipulativeness you know all of those kind of uh, signals of of being a kind of propaganda artist Besides comparing and contrasting public statements, past and present, how else would this bullshit detector determine what rational thought is? How would it look at text or analyze speech to determine its merit? Well, rational thought is, um, there's obviously a lot to be said about rational thought and what it is. Logic is kind of at the heart of it, in a way. I mean, there's certainly a major tradition that, that looks at kind of logic as being at the basis of rational thought. But fundamentally, without even needing to kind of go into technicalities of how logic works, essentially, you know, rational thought is a way of coming to conclusions based on knowledge and evidence that you've been given beforehand, you know. Being a rational creature means that you can arrive at new knowledge that, that nobody had before and you can arrive at that knowledge through learning things and basically putting two and two together, right? So, you know, there's a couple of elements to that that are really important to, to make sure you've got straight. So one of them is the processes of, of inference and deduction and does have you actually added two and two to get two or have you multiplied them? You know, you've got to get your kind of processes of inference right and know what you're doing. 
Um, and the other part is, you know, what are your what's the what are the facts that you're starting from? Okay, sort of, is this a garbage in, garbage out type of thing? You could operate perfectly logical kind of inferences and come to conclusions, but if your facts are wrong that you started out with, you might have a valid argument sort of on internal grounds, but it would be a useless one because the, the conclusion is actually based on, on kind of falsehoods. So when we talk about rational discourse, we're really talking about the kind of discourse you see in public life where we have to make decisions that affect groups okay so a lot of times we're trying to figure out what's the right thing to do on behalf of a group so to be fair and to do things that make sense uh, you really need to have confidence in the kind of premises that you're starting with and all of that really boils down to this problem of you know knowing what's true what's not true knowing what's a fact and what's not a fact and that's where you know evidence plays a crucial role right so you know, whether it's it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, we live in this 24-hour news cycle in the world of social media. News travels really fast. I feel like politicians are always saying something. There's always a story breaking. So how would this bullshit detector work to combat an onslaught of information, you know, information overload? Well, I wish it could do that. You know, I think that a device like this, in the way that we conceptualize it, is not really designed to do that i mean it's designed you know you 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 present it with some information or with a kind of corpus or with a set of recordings or what what have you you know and if it's working it will tell you something about the facts or the coherence of it or the consistency of it i could imagine in the future it could it could sort of feed into some kind of filter you know or allow you to set some kind of threshold if you, if you could trust the device, then you'd set it and it would actually stop bullshit coming into your inbox, if you know what I mean. That would be great. That would be a nice thing. Of course, you'd have to trust it um, quite a bit. And this is, this is, you know, there are obvious dangers to that. So we're already in these incredible bubbles and uh, things are getting filtered left, right and center through, you know, all of the kind of advertising-based filters that, that are derived by algorithms, you know, in very clever ways based on kind of all the input that we that we give to these to these companies and so forth. So, you know, certainly the potential's there for doing that. Again, it comes down to who's controlling that technology, how you're setting the parameters to kind of edit out all the bullshit. But I think it would be a great thing. It would be certainly be much better to have it filtering out the bullshit rather than feeding more and more of it in as is currently the case. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know, even the mainstream media now is so heavily mediated. It's really common for citizens to only get their news from one source, whether it's the Murdoch Press, Fairfax, or, you know, just friends on Facebook. But the information people receive is so heavily mediated. Is there a chance that this bullshit detector might just be another filter ensuring people only get the information they really want to hear? Well, you know, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head of a certain type of problem. There could be a chance, you know, in the future if technology like this were kind of applied and scaled up, you know, I could imagine, yeah, that would be one of the kind of problems. So that would be kind of a question of implementation, um, you know, what uses the, the, you know, the kind of tool was really put to. So I don't think it's inherently a danger, but, you know, in any kind of technology, obviously they can be used for good or bad or they can be used well or not well. So, you know, I think the potential is there, but it's certainly not a necessary, it wouldn't be a necessary consequence of that type of a uh, of a device simply because, you know, everything we're working with in the information world, you know, is, is ultimately a kind of sieve or filter. And so the real question is, well, which ones are the good ones and how do we apply them well? So let's talk about social media. Platforms like Facebook and Twitter, even though they say they are not media companies, are increasingly the only place people get their news. 
How would this bullshit detector be able to assess information on social media platforms? I'm not sure that being on a different platform would really change the way that something like a bullshit detector would do its work because essentially if it's going to work, what it's got to do is to take a statement or an assertion and evaluate the kind of, you know, either the truth of it or the consistency of it in relation to that source. So, you know, I think this is exactly why things like Twitter and Facebook work for people as sources of news is that, you know, they're kind of indistinguishable from news outlets in that, you know, you're getting assertions being made about states of affairs. You know, there's a place and there's a there's an incident there, you know, a, a rocket goes off or, you know, a bomb gets dropped or what have you. And you read about it. And then really for something like a bullshit detector, it's just, it doesn't really care, you know, as a kind of computational device, it doesn't really care what the story is about. It just wants to check it against evidence that it has. So I guess you would like to see, and there's certainly a very strong kind of public demand for this, you'd like to see some device like that being used wisely uh, with that type of media. And it's, you know, it's very obviously very dangerous just because people are able to manipulate it in whatever ways. I mean, I should hasten to say that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, it's never been any different with not social media, with traditional media. That is, people are manipulating it left, right and centre for their own kind of devices. It's just that it's now splintered and splintered and splintered, you know, and there's just so many more bubbles than, than there ever used to be. Yeah, so I think it's it's come out, you know, pretty recently that Facebook does monitor its content and they do make editorial decisions about what content ends up on their pages and, and what you see in your news feed. I guess my question would be, could we see, you know, like a mobile app plugin you could plug into your, your social media platforms that as content was coming up on your news feed, it would detect it, come out at you in flash and be like, you know, fake news, fake news, something like that. Yeah, I could imagine something like that. And I think things like this exist already, that there's some sort of warning comes up and it says that, you know, this may be fake just because it detects it, uh, you know, certain sources get blacklisted. And so, you know, it's a pretty, pretty basic kind of brute form of filtering. It doesn't actually cut the story out, but it just tells you, read this with caution. So that would that would be a very sort of coarse filter that would capture some kind of things. And you would hope with more sophisticated devices like the one we're trying to develop at the Uni of Sydney, it could get something much more sophisticated. So the machine wouldn't care where the, the uh, information is coming from. It would just evaluate it against the available data that it has. So I think that would be an obvious kind of application. It would be a nice one to have, but it will certainly have to go through a long sort of phase of development because it's pretty annoying having things flashing and going off, you know, in your newsfeed and stuff. I mean, you don't, you don't really want that. You just want stuff that you can trust. But then, of course, if there's a heavy filter in place there, you also don't want to kind of miss out on stuff that's relevant or, or also true. Well, so let's track a story. Do you have a, do you have a favorite fake news story you've seen over the last year? favorite fake news story um gee you know actually i kind of ignore them um and i haven't really tracked any of them on our website for the post truth initiative we actually have a feed on the front page that you know that we get you know all the the worst rated things on 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 the fact check sites that they kind of come up and i see them uh you know the last one i saw yesterday was uh uh death hoax kid rock died i think um 
fakely. Right. So let's say Kid Rock dies fakely. That starts probably, you know, in some corner of the internet, somewhere like 4chan or Reddit, places where groups like alt-right and pro-populist trolls hang out and kind of just generate content and fake news, whether it's to influence political parties or just trick people on the internet about quote-unquote famous celebrities. And then the story is perpetuated on social media platforms and then in some cases pops up in traditional news outlets. So where does the bullshit detector come in if it's only at the very end of it once it's in the mainstream media, if it's on, if it's on your social media platform? Is that maybe too late to, to stop this information from infiltrating society and people's public discourse? That's a really good point, and it's, it's certainly a, a, a concern. So well, one of my colleagues, David Schlossberg, who's in the Sydney Environment Institute, is quite sort of strong on this point, and he is very much more concerned not only with kind of knowing if something's bullshit when it occurs, but actually finding the source of it, right? So, you know, in, the, in just what you described, you know, there's a question of accountability for these kinds of stories and, and who spread them or who started them. Who was that? It was just in the last two days. What story am I thinking about where... Oh, it's the, it's the CNN head. This is not fake news, but it's the guy who did the video with the CNN logo on the head of the... Someone tweeted a photo of Trump while he was in a WWE years and years ago, and someone used Photoshop to put CNN on its head and then tweeted it out, and then it somehow got to Donald Trump, who also retweeted that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that the, they had actually found who was the person who originally made that video and it was someone on reddit or whatever and i don't know if you've seen this but this person was kind of talking speaking out and saying he was kind of ashamed of what he'd done and and he was just doing it to sort of fire people up and and this kind of thing i mean anyway so i just i digress it was just i was just trying to think of it so what's the source of the bullshit and for certain story like you know kid rock died it's not going to make any difference to anyone and who knows why someone wants to do it they just want to kind of see their their story spread or something like that just for fun but it's much more sinister when you're looking at stories like you know there's such a thing as clean coal is there such a thing as clean coal well it, you know a lot of people i talk to for example at the sydney environment institute say that it doesn't make any sense it's a it's an impossible concept and yet it's out there so the question is you know who devised this idea that particular phrase you know was it devised in a boardroom somewhere was it sort of released like a virus you know all of that is thinkable and you know that's a really interesting question is to sort of try to track the stuff so that is a secondary question really to sort of detecting bullshit is actually finding the source of it and it's a hard problem I mean I think there are ways in which you can do it if you sort of if you're an investigative journalist essentially you can try to kind of track those things back and find out. But how to automate that sort of thing, you know, is a is a tough one. When you say it's too late, I guess yes and no. I mean, it's better to be late than never in this domain, I think. But certainly once stuff has got out there, it's very, very hard to stop it. And it's also very hard to stop it. I mean, there's a there's a very strong psychological effect here too, right? So in psychology, there's a, there's a well-known effect where if you plant an idea in someone's mind and then you tell them that it's false, they're still going to have a sort of a sense that it's that it might be true anyway. So this kind of thing, when you find out that something's false, it actually doesn't make it go away in your mind. And so that's a very dangerous part about all of this is that, you know, human psychology kind of plays into all of this. So, yeah, I think you're right to say, you know, maybe it's too late. But, yeah, I'd say better late than never. 
You just talked a little bit about psychology. Earlier we talked about data science. It sounds like you've assembled a bit of a team over there at the Post-Truth Initiative. I see you have researchers in physics, philosophy, data science, international relations, media and communications, as well as software engineering. It seems to me traditional forms of media have had a rough time combating quote-unquote fake news. Do you think an interdisciplinary team of researchers are more equipped to get to the root of this problem than journalists? I think teamwork is always a good idea. You know, I think that journalists can learn from academics, scientists, sort of social activists, anybody who's kind of related in any way to what they do and vice versa, right? You know, I think in my own experience as a researcher, it's always a good idea to collaborate. It's always a good idea to do interdisciplinary work. And I mean, it just helps you to think outside the box a little bit and pull together different ways of thinking to sort of see, you know, potentially new solutions, I hope. Well, for example, in America, Donald Trump, he's now the president of the United States. So traditionally, if I'm a journalist and the president of the United States is saying something, that means I should cover it. In Australia, we have Pauline Hanson, you know, and she's a senator. And traditionally, as a journalist, if a senator is saying something, that means I should cover it. But I think in this post-truth world, that might not actually be the case. As an academic who is examining this world of misinformation, should journalists be moving away from traditional models of coverage? Well, I guess there's a number of things there. You know, if you think that it's bullshit, therefore we should leave it alone. I think there's something to be said for that. And certainly in terms of things like, you know, uh, Hanson Trump, I'm getting pretty tired of all the media that I see about these people because, you know, you could repeatedly see that it's bullshit. So it's not that it's irrelevant to our lives or, you know, uninteresting or things like that, but, you know, it's, it's, it's over the top, I think, the amount of kind of um, attention that's being paid to it. So, you know, there's an obvious reason, I guess, and, and it's the one that many people would point out, and that is that kind of elephant in the room about lots of journalism is that it's there to sell papers and, you know, there to, to attract um, advertising uh, money on programs that get higher ratings and stuff. So whatever is more attractive or or at the very most basic level whatever grabs people's attention is going to be what journalists will cover what 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 they should cover might be another kind of question well before i let you go i just, I just have one more question if the bullshit detector isn't fully operational as a linguist if i'm walking down the street and i see a daily telegraph headline or i see something i think might be fake news how do i look at that language and, and kind of determine whether i should be believing it or not well, you should use your many available other sources of information to check the source and check if you can get multiple sources that are making the same statement. I mean, it's a pretty basic aspect of internet literacy, you might call it. But I would say if you wanted to be responsible about how you handle information, whether it's a daily telegraph or something that you really trust, if you're going to make a decision based on it or if you're going to pass that information on, then the best thing you can do is try to find at least one, preferably two or three, independent sources of the same kind of piece of news. Um, But with respect to facts, the fact that we've got this incredibly powerful information-gathering devices in our pockets means that we kind of have no excuse for just believing something when we see it. Dr. Nick Enfield, thank you very much for being on Fourth Estate. Thank you very much for having me. That's it from us on Fourth Estate. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Fourth Estate podcast via iTunes or your favorite download app. I'll catch you guys the same time next week. Bye.